the SG Boys. When I first had the idea to do the SG Boys podcast, one of the first people that I put in my mind as someone I definitely want to have on the show is now sitting across Sam Joe and I. The one and only... Becca DeBuzz! Hi, how we doing? Oh my gosh, you have a beautiful voice. Has anyone ever told you that? Yeah, people have told me that before. Uh, I've not done anything useful with it, but hey. there you go. Okay, see, I always say your name as Becca DeBuzz. Becca DeBuzz. Becca DeBuzz. Yeah, Becca DeBuzz. Who is Becca DeBuzz and who is Eugene Tan? Uh, you see, the question about Eugene Tan is an interesting one, right? Because actually, there are multiple famous and important Eugene Tans in Singapore. <laughs> one is the director of the National Gallery of Singapore, oh, Dr. Hey. Eugene Tan. Okay. There is a political scientist at SMU, also Dr. Eugene Tan. Mm-hmm. I receive both their emails with fair regularity. Who am I? A 43-year-old fat faggot. I'm digging the alliteration on that one. I know, right? <laughs> yes. And who is back at the bus? Uh, she's like Singapore's biggest drag queen. Nah. Mm-hmm. It's something you've said time and time again in all these interviews. Like, it's something that you own, right? Like, I mean, I is, want, is your size like a big part of, of that brand? Who, who said I was talking about my size? I thought you were. Oh my God, I guess uh, I just... Maybe, maybe I'm talking about my impact, bitch. Which <laughs> <laughs> is undeniable. That is For true. Sure. I take it back. But it's just like, you know how Joshua Simon's Instagram is Joshua Simon XL. Hey. Because he's talking about his size, right? Well, oh, he's yeah. talking about your heart. So some people uh, he's, talking think about, he's talking about his mm, size. Yeah, I get asked sometimes, like, hey, what does the XL mean? And really, he means the size of his gaping hole. I was referring to growing up as a fat kid and being afraid of the XL size. Afraid of it? Yeah, because I used to be very ashamed of it. Like, you know, like when you're in secondary school and they're doing, like, the class t-shirt, you just want to be M like everyone else or you want to be, some, some of my friends, XS, and then you're like, XL. And I used to be so ashamed of that. And and whenever um, like someone wants to buy me a t-shirt, I would just feel that pinch in me to not say XL because I would feel ashamed of it. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to put it right behind my name. Mm. Well, some people think it's also a Chinese name, which is not as well. Xiaolong. Xiao yeah. <laughs> I have to ask, what was Eugene like as a kid? Will we be good friends with Eugene? I, I don't think so. I think I was a fucking obnoxious like pain in the ass. I still am one, but... Well, I was a pretty obnoxious, like, teenager, I would say. Kid, I was very curious, but teenager, I was all over the place. I don't think my teachers were fans of me, for instance. Well, I mean, I only ask about sort of, like, going back to school with the brain that you have now, because, like, when I think of me doing it all over again, Mm. I would... Not do it, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's how I I feel about a lot of school, is, like, if I had an opportunity to do it all again, yeah, no, it's okay. I think I would do a little bit of that where I would skip a bunch of classes to to subjects that really just I remember like in primary school we learned the abacus do you remember that? Before I didn't. The, oh yeah. I had to learn the abacus and yeah. it was a complete waste of time I never applied it because why, why you got calculator already? Why, exactly, what was the because? point of that? Yeah. Also I think I mean I know this will probably be a very controversial opinion or way of doing things but I would hit back to like a lot of the bullies that I had growing up because I just kind of yeah. took it I should have hit back, I think. I don't feel like I was particularly bullied by other students in school for being gay or effeminate. Um, Certainly people made fun of me for being fat. The instances that I remember being in some way put down for being queer were teachers. Interesting. 
so would I hit back? Well, I kind of, I kind of have, just not physically, obviously. Are you talking about Miss Caroline Wong? Yeah, who has Miss Caroline Wong? Like, so I once gave an interview where I named this teacher who said something really stupid to me. I have confronted her since. Um, she claims it never happened. Which, you know. Okay, this is just like 14, 15 year old Eugene Tan minding his own business, eating in the canteen on, on his own. I think you're eating noodles or something. Yeah. This is the worst dramatic reason. <laughs> sounds about right. It's like carbs. Carbs. <laughs> Maybe it was prawn me or something, like, you know, 50 cents on the canteen stall. Um, I'm just embellishing here, okay? So he's just minding his own business, slurping his noodles. Okay. And then Miss Fang over there, Miss Caroline Wong. Okay, who is sitting like on the same stretch of benches. I'm assuming this is a teacher in school. This is the teacher. Okay. Looks at him and scowls and says... And says... I don't like to sit next to homosexuals. You're fucking kidding. To which I thought I was a sassy little bitch and I said, neither do I. And so I left. (laughs) It's so stupid, right? Some might argue it's not even a comeback. But like, look, you, you... But you, at least you didn't just let it slide. Because most kids would have just kept quiet. I would have froze, yeah. I would have froze or so, and I would have felt like... I would have choked on my prawn noodles and like... But maybe also, even it's, cried in it's, the bowl. Like, it's such an insane thing to say, right? Yeah. Right. If you have no memory of this and somebody told you you did this, it sounds so insane that you're like, how could I have done that? You know what I mean? And I'm not making excuses for this woman, like, Lord knows, whatever. But I, I I, can also sympathize with this idea that A, she doesn't remember it happening. B, I confront her late, years later and tell her this happened. And it sounds so crazy that she's like, how could that have happened? For my case, it was rugby boys because my school was apparently known for its rugby team. And they would, like, I, I was a prefect, so I like a tie, right? Because if you're a prefect, you have a tie and a badge. Mm-hmm. So they would choke me at the tie and they'll call me bapok. For overseas listeners, that's sort of like the. It's faggot. Right, in Malay. And interesting that you said just now where it wasn't sort of homophobic motivation behind that because even though they called me those things I wasn't sure what my sexuality was back then like I just went to school I just joined dance and choir because I liked those things my sexuality had nothing to do with those things and then the first time I hear that word which is sort of linked to my sexuality it's in a negative connotation so maybe I would physically hit back or I would have done something about it I would have talked to someone about it rather than just like kept quiet so did you speak to anyone when, when that situation happened with your teacher? Not in the moment. I happened to have been visiting the school just as she was also visiting the school. She doesn't live in Singapore anymore. She lives in Australia. And I just said to her, hey, I just want you to know that this happened. And I also want you to know that you are insanely lucky that I was not a suicidal child. And that's when she sort of like denied that it happened. I'm like, I'm not... This is not a conversation about whether this happened. Right. I'm just trying to tell you that you're very lucky. That's all I'm trying to tell you. That's all. But actually, I wanted to pick on something that you were just talking about, which it sounds like you did not know that you were necessarily queer, but you were identified as queer by people who wanted to, in some way, victimize you, right? It points at something that maybe is quite it's important to think about, and that is that what people pick up on is not actually what you want to fuck 
is often actually it's a policing of like masculinity, right? Mm. Which is also one of the reasons that fat people get picked on a lot because in a way the imagination of fat people was that we're not very masculine. And it's also why I have found a lot of the kind of talk around anti-discrimination and until quite recently actually a lot of talk around sort of like anti-discrimination legislation perhaps problematic because it's it's generally true that most people don't know what you sleep with and actually what is policeable or what people can pick up on is that oh he's just not very masculine I have often questioned this idea, and and this happened in Singapore a few years ago too, that there was an attempt to sort of bring about uh, uh, anti-discrimination legislation because of somebody who was fired from, I believe it was Robinson's, uh, RIP, you know, ostensibly because he was gay. And and there was this attempt to sort of talk about um, sexual orientation in the context of non-discrimination. And I was like, actually... I don't know very many people who've been discriminated because because they are gay. Right. I know much more people who are discriminated against because they don't conform to fairly strict ideas about gender. Right. I mean, it's clear if they say, oh, you know, don't bake a cake for a same-sex couple, right? That could be more easily be construed as, okay, homophobic, but... What kind of gays are these gays getting married who can't bake their own cake? <laughs> Not to make light of the situation. Similar experience or so, it's like, I heard that I was gay from others before I myself, like, we consult that with my own identity. But the thing is that policing someone's masculinity or lack thereof Mm. and being homophobic, like, often go hand in hand, right? It's not mutually exclusive They do, but I think what I'm getting at is also that it's it's also connected to other kinds of bullying. Really unambitious, unimaginative understandings of humanity. Well, I like that you embrace the the fact that you're a large person. Was there ever a point where you did not embrace that or you fought against that and you want it to be anything but large? Kind of like my story with the whole XL thing. As far as I've been like consciously aware of my body, it's I've always been fat. You know, I haven't always loved my body and I still don't always love my body. I'm not that Pollyanna about it. I've also always just known that I was fat. I have also generally experienced it as lots of people fighting the fact that I'm fat more than I have fought the fact that I'm fat. As a Singaporean male, you enter places like the military or whatever. And, you know, in those places, it's like, obviously, you're not of very much use if you're a fat person. In a system like Singapore's, it's all about the person as an economic unit, right? Your utility. Yeah, your, your, your utility. So whether it's like as a troop or as a taxpayer or as an employee. I mean, if you think about a lot of the queer activism that happens in Singapore today, like it buys into these ideas that I personally would like to resist. How was national service for you? It wasn't pleasant. It was not a good time. I'm not very good at like conforming and I'm not the kind of person who's like oh I'm not good at it and so I'm going to try harder like fuck that well I am very envious of how you can just not give a fuck I just like you reject all these things I would feel very uncomfortable going to sort of regimentation and the uniformity of everything and being talked down to and all that but knowing that I'm not going to just be oh fuck it then I have to completely change myself to do this because with me weight is like that too it's like I wish I could have just been fuck it, XL, claim it, size, claim it. Instead, it's not. It's, oh, I'm going to change. I'm going to try to be like what everyone wants me to be. And then you go and spend like decades of your life. Maybe another way to think about it is not so much, I'm so assured of myself, myself as in two words. Maybe I'm just lazy. 
It doesn't give you utility. It doesn't give me pleasure. I don't know that I would have <laughs> known to use that language at the time, but I, I later on believe a lot in pleasure. Yeah, I, I like to believe that Singapore has made progress, at least when it comes to sort of social media, being able to call out things when they happen. Representation, even though we may not have that on, say, mainstream free-to-air programming. I also hear a lot of people from the older generation where they feel jaded, right? Where they feel like, you know what? It wasn't around when I needed it when I was 20. Now I've kind of like learned to live without having to champion it, without having to change anything, without having to say, I need these things. I just want to be kept alone. I want nothing to do with it. I don't want to go to Ping Dot. I'm not interested in progress. I don't want to speak out about anything. Just leave me alone. What is sort of your response to that? Uh, first of all, I would say that uh, to think about these ideas uh, as generational is um, doing our understanding of where people are at a giant disservice. Personally, I think the lines have to do much more with how and what we believe to be our communities. Right how and what we believe to be the inequalities, what we believe the goals to be. Interesting. If you're, you know, if your imagination is that being gay equals, like, being able to go to Taiwan Pride, Songkran, being able to go to parties in Singapore, walking down the street with your boyfriend hand in hand, or your partner, probably, you would probably use the language of partner, being able to work in an MNC, can buy a condo, 35 can buy HDB. Mm. If that is your understanding of equality, then you kind of have it. I would challenge somebody to tell me that they don't have that. First of all, if, if that's what you want. Right. Secondly, if what you want is economic justice, for example, mm. uh, then no, you don't have that and you're going to be angry. In, you know. And I know old people who speak about that. I know people my age who speak about that. I know younger people who speak about that. And actually, if you talk about the, the kind of equality I talked about earlier, I know people from all kinds of generations that talk about that too. Right. I think we need to come to a place where these laws don't matter. Imagine what the world would look like if queerness was at least as much a way of understanding and organizing the world as cis-normativity and heteronormativity. The fact that we are saying, with no irony, mind you, hashtag love is love, as if because I am not currently in a monogamous relationship with somebody else, this movement has nothing to do with me, is insane. I, I cannot, I literally cannot compute this idea. Since when did we decide that a particular way of organizing your sex life should be how our rights are organized? That, that seems antithetical to queerness. And the thing is, love is love comes from the marriage equality movement, really. And in a way, that's one of the most conservative parts of like queer activism. And we have very unironically and very unquestioningly adopted it. If you're saying, yeah, you only see young people want to sell pride flags or whatever, then you're correct. Because I also think that there are a lot of older activists who will look at that and be like, it's not really activism, bitch. Mm. Well, this is the thing that I love about you why I wanted you on this podcast. Like everything that you just said helps me to understand your perspective of things. It's, it's not necessarily what I agree with or I'm not listening to that and going, oh, that is 
eureka moment for me 100%. I get very fascinated by hearing your thoughts on things because you've also on social media spoken up with opinions that will go against the general consensus of how a gay person is supposed to react when little achievements happen. Say for example, the W Hotel post with uh, I think Andy, right? There was a couple casual photograph of them having a staycation together and a lot of us took it as, "Whoa, this is a wonderful moment for W Hotel to be um, recognizing same-sex couples and it's on their Facebook page. And naturally, I was like, yeah, hell yeah. I'm so happy for them. I'm so happy for Andy and his partner. And then you swing back with, uh, with a completely different opinion that left me speechless, not offended. I know it offended a lot of people for sure based on just sort of the comments. I but remember why I said You come in with a completely different response and I'm just like, whoa, I don't agree with you, but this is so cool to hear someone else voice out, say, a nuance to this story that I did not even think of. Perhaps, but you know, like maybe I also think that sometimes in Singapore, we are very enamored with this idea of achieving some kind of visibility Mm. as if we haven't already achieved a lot of visibility it most certainly is in a lot of ways. But I actually would just argue that the, the kinds of visibility that would matter are things like a very visibly queer person being a member of parliament. Mm. And there have certainly been people, members of parliament, that people have gossiped about, certainly. But they're not out. And, you know, of course, it's not anybody's position to ask somebody else to come out. That's not what I'm saying. But but those are the kinds of visibility that I think are, are game-changing at this point. Mm-hmm. That a hotel might say that we we host staycations for a gay couple seems to me like a very, very unambitious thing to wish for. And I worry that there is a lot of activism that happens in Singapore now that confuses the idea of a community with the idea of a market. Mm. And that these two things are different. Or rather, these two things are overlapping concepts. Yes. You know what I mean? But there's something to me, and maybe I'm being a little bit holier than thou, there's something quite gross to me about being only able to imagine communities or your community or communities of still oppressed people as a marketable group. Hmm. And that's happening a lot this month in particular. With Pink Dot, with Pride Month, you see a lot of business. Pink Fest. Pink Fest. So I'm actually judging in Pink Fest. I personally critique Pink Fest a lot on this, but I also participate in it. Yeah, like I, I'm getting your points and see Central. My, my hands are not clean. It's, it's quite, it's I, quite I don't think it's a matter of dirty or what, but it's just like this month with Pride Month and I've noticed that like I'm getting a a whole ton of DMs for you know for Pride Month we want to stand with the LGBTQ plus community we want to send you some roses we want to send you some badges we want to send you some product Um, and and it's for free and 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 influencer life there well but I'm I'm noticing it I'm noticing it now (laughs) this year more than any other year before a friend of mine Ben he gave me this Adidas Love Unites uh, jersey it's my first ever Adidas thing that I've ever worn and I've never gone into Adidas because in my mind it's like these are all the football players and all soccer boys and would never ever let me sit with them and now my first jersey is Love Unites so that means a lot to me do I know if Adidas really stands with the LGBT community do I know if they've done anything beyond just having the, the rainbow on 
on their jersey, I don't know. But for me personally, just be able to walk into the store and see that in there. And when usually you would feel like this is a, a place where I would not be welcome or I would not feel comfortable with saying that I'm gay or whatever. Just to see that little thing just means something to me. Yeah, and I think that that's perfectly fine. I, th- I think that's, you know, it's great to find meaning wherever you want to find meaning. Like, Lord knows. But also, at the same time, while we're talking about meaning, what does the slogan Love Unites mean? In the context of pride, what does that mean? So maybe I pay attention to different things, you know, to different layers of this stuff. I have been struck by some of the rhetoric around, say, Pink Fest specifically, in how it talks to businesses and tries to get them on board with a movement that again like this is funny to say because I know the people involved and I guess I could ask them but it would be a very heated conversation I can't identify what the goals of this movement are which to me makes me question how is this a movement it's not lost on me that when I have participated in Pink Fest like the kind of like evaluation form that you get at the end of it the first question is a question about your business I think what the the thinking of it is that you as a business need to get behind our rights because we are a valuable part of your market. I think I understand that as as an idea. Where I think I have a lot of problems with this is that the logical next step to that is Therefore, if I am not spending money on businesses because either I choose not to or B, I literally can't afford to, am I less worthy of rights? Right. Mm. I haven't thought about any of these things. I'm going to um, lean away for a bit. What? Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, please. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just thinking. Yeah. I'm just thinking a lot right now. I'm it's trying quite to... fun, like, thinking. No. It's a good, yeah. it's a, it's a good you game. Should, you should try more no, often. Isn't, I'm Don't gonna... be rude. She does it quite often. <laughs> Maybe I'm not very Lunch intelligent. <laughs> but like when it comes to even activism and stuff, right? I, I think it's like years and years of, of feeling like the other. And then I would just like take anything around me and just like drape it around my body and have fun. And I didn't care about gender. And I just did it because part of me also took pleasure and shock everyone because I was like you know fuck all of you guys at the same time but I feel fabulous and free and fun when it came to sort of ping dot and activism and all that and getting involved I was like okay what is the template of what I'm supposed to do, right? Because you go into it like, oh, I'm supposed to show up, sing the song, and I'm supposed to do the dance. So I do all of that. And I and I think there are also other people like me who are now hit with sort of comments that Becca makes. And you're like, I have not thought of things from your perspective. I've not dissected what even this conversation of a pink dollar thing. I, I've never I've not even thought of that until like say last year when I read your post. So I'm at that point now where it's like I wanna engage, I wanna do things, but I also don't know what to do. Yeah, which I think is doing- one of the which is what I think one of the very fair and very pointed criticisms of what I'm saying, which is when you think about things in this way, it prevents you from doing anything. I guess what I am trying to say is people should do whatever they think they can. Let's be clear about that. Because we are not equal. If you feel the kind of impulse to do something about it, you should do whichever part of this work you feel you can. Absolutely go at it. But at the same time, people should be thoughtful in doing that. I think, personally, if you are doing activism and it's not intentional, it's not really activism. I do not disagree with the idea of incremental change, right? The idea that we can get some, we can, maybe we can chip away at this small thing and then slowly we build and build and build and build. Obviously, many movements work that way and obviously much social change has been made in that way. 
However, I would also say that it is very possible and I fear that it is happening in this instance where in order to reach some of the more reachable goals, we are making it very, very difficult to achieve the goals that would be liberation for everybody. I'm so happy this is a recorded conversation because I'm going to re-listen to everything that you've just said. <laughs> this is so strange. It made me feel like I was listening to a sermon. I grew up in a church. My dad's a pastor. So it was, there were so many times where I would go in and I'll be like, I'm doing good, but I'm at church and I'm just supposed to pass the offering bag. I'm supposed to help pass out the bulletins. So I'm just doing that. And I feel like sometimes with activism, we also kind of do that, right? We go into the house and we think that wherever we're supposed to pick up and help do, we just do. And we think that we're doing good without thinking of sort of the intention of what we're actually there for. But yeah, it just kind of gave me the imagery of that. And also you have a very nice voice. Singapore's <laughs> biggest drag queen. I also think of your opinions that you make and, and the voice that you have because it's so different and, and so individual as well. I mean, going by what you said, where, where we are not all equal and you have your own gifts, which is different from mine, just like our stories are. Mm-hmm. That was praise. It wasn't a question. It was just, I, I, it was just praise. I, I thank you. This has been a question that's been on my mind for a while now when it comes to the history of sort of drag in Singapore. Would you say Jack Neo is a drag legend in Singapore? Because... Arguably, Jack Neo in drag would be the most visible drag queen in Singapore entertainment because when it comes to sort of demographic and reach as well, you have Liang Simei, Liang Po Po, these characters, which is Jack Neo in drag. Do you say drag Neo? <laughs> oh my gosh. Carry on. Is on public TV and has been since the 90s. Would you consider someone like Jack Neo as a legend in drag? I think the more pertinent question might be, does Jack Neo consider himself a drag queen? And I'm not sure he would. I mean, I don't know if it's just me, but I've never sort of seen him align himself with the LGBT community or have acknowledged it as, I'm a drag queen. I'm using drag, or some might say appropriating um, the art of drag to sort of play sort of a jester role where a lot of the when he's in front of the camera it's to make people laugh or sort of poke fun at the stereotype of being the auntie or the grandmother maybe I haven't heard or maybe I haven't seen this or heard from him where he has stood with and aligned himself Mm. with the community and say that you know I have benefited career opportunities monetarily through the art of drag and using it Mm. on mainstream platforms here's some proof that I've opened doors for other drag queens as well Correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't seen that. Yeah, so I haven't seen that necessarily either. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, you could argue like Auntie Lucy probably. Dennis Chu. Dennis Chu as Auntie Lucy. You could probably make an argument is uh, is of that lineage. Um, that house. <laughs> um, <laughs> the house of the Neo. The house of Drag Neo. The house of Neo. <laughs> I'll say this. I don't think that I especially am particularly interested in or frankly have a right or any business sitting around and trying to decide if somebody what somebody is doing is drag or not i have a working definition in my head of what drag is but it's a very broad definition so for me the more critical question is would jack new identify what he does as drag or does he identify himself as an act as a character actor or you know whatever else right like there are lots of words you can use for this there are many reasons that i feel like i am not i I cannot be in the business of deciding whether somebody is doing drag or not because 
and, and chief among them is that, quite frankly, in Singapore, there are many drag performers who would question if what I'm doing is drag or not. It's a fair question because the definition of drag is different wherever in the world you go, right? Um, and it's still evolving. And, and it's still evolving. Yeah. And it's uh, possibly getting um, globalized in a way that is problematic. But tralala, the point is that there are, in fact, many drag performers who would say, oh my God, she's not even wearing heels. Like, what the fuck? Um, and they would not be wrong. You know, that, that's that's okay. So, so the first question that I would ask is, does Jack Neo think of what he's doing as drag? If he says that what he is doing is drag, then we can start to talk about, like, the quality of that drag, right? Like, is it ironic? Does it question gender? Is it necessarily funny? Is it beautiful? Do we understand something different about queerness or gender or 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 popular culture by watching Jack New? Is he saying something that's pointed and interesting? Likewise, which I think the, is what you are raising is, does this performer engage with the community that makes the performer, right? Because a performer is kind of like not worth anything without an audience. But the thing is that Jack New doesn't perform to a queer audience. His yeah. audience is largely heterosexual. Yeah. I, I, yeah, and I mean, I sound like I'm all super defending like Jiang Simei. <laughs> I don't know her, whatever, right? I don't know Jack New either, except to point out that the man has a cultural medallion in Singapore. Like an actual... Yeah. Cultural... Singapore has awarded him a cultural medallion. I forgot about that. I didn't know that. Mm. To close off, we have a little segment we want to play with you, a little game. It is The World According to Beck at the Bus. So we will present to you a topic. Let us know if we should all collectively stop it uh, or... Carry on. Stop it uh, or... Carry on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Understand? All right. Let's start off with restaurants that don't serve free water. Stop it. Uh. Right. Nothing annoys me more than going there and having to pay extra just for water. I've seen it a few times where I've had a meal with Josh and then it's like, oh, can I have water, please? Oh, uh, yeah, we have Evian. And he's like, oh, never mind. I understand the concept of we only serve bottled water. I also understand the concept of if you're going to order nothing else, I'm going to charge you for ice water. Right. What I cannot wrap my head around is when you go to a place and you order a bunch of different things, including perhaps booze, and then you ask for water and they want to charge you. They still want to charge you. And yes. to me, it's like the twenty cents worth it, man. It's particularly annoying because this is Singapore, and we know that our tap water is potable. So we could just. I understand that, but you know, I also no. Understand. So I could just go to the toilet I've done and that. drink water for free. I've done that. <laughs> that's because you're an ass, and I, I <laughs> actually, more importantly. Can we have service staff that are empowered to make decisions on the floor? There you go. Basically, everyone needs to be flex. Okay. Uh (laughs) To do the best version of their job that they can. Yeah. They need to be... Empowered. Empowered. I feel like when I I want to order sort of an iced black coffee, there are some places where they have black coffee, but no iced black coffee. So I would ask them, do you have ice? And they'd be like, yeah, we do. Can I just get the black coffee and can I have a cup of ice and can you pour the black coffee into the ice? Is it, uh, I will get you the ice separate. You, you can own self pour. You, you own self pour. You pour yourself. <laughs> I'm like, I just don't understand why you can't just put it together. Next topic: RuPaul's Drag Race. All right, do we stop it up uh, or carry on? Carry on? Yeah. 
I've seen this sentiment on Reddit. I've also heard it from a couple of friends where they're like, I think it was 2019, 2020 when there was so many seasons of Drag Race back to back. It was like a new season and then it was an all-stars and then there was a celebrity Drag Race and then there was another one, another spinoff. A whole bunch of like, oh my gosh, please stop. There are way too many drag queens. I'm starting to forget the names already. Oh, the season's qualities are going down. With more seasons of Drag Race, drag is also taking its cues from that show. Kind of Instagram-worthy drag queens with the kind of queens that come on the show, you are expected to... Also now with the pandemic, you can't perform. You're expected to now go onto Instagram and surf looks every single week. I also hear a lot of they need to chill for a bit. And then RuPaul's kind of statement to everything is uh, there'll be a point where things kind of happen in cycles. And for a very long time, drag was not at the center of this where they're like rock stars today. And while we're in this and we have the spot where we're getting Emmys every year, we're going to keep doing it. First of all, Mr. Charles is bang on the money when he says that, you know, while it's hot, you got to hit it and you got to hit it hard. It is undeniable that the show has made, has created opportunities for many performers. I think that there's a lot that you can critique about the show and the phenomenon that is the show. Oh my God, Sam Joe, are you? Are yeah, you what are you doing? You're just, are you lip syncing to a song that's not playing? Yeah, because <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt you. I'm you just like, like really here. I was like, are you it's a phenomenon. It's a phenomenon. I actually don't even know this. That, to that, was from, that was from um, season thirteen, where he, you know, there's some there are RuPaul songs, and then there are RuPaul songs. I legitimately believe you. <laughs> so I think I think there's a lot to unpack and a lot to critique about the show and the sort of like cultural phenomenon of the show right and the the sort of world around it i think there are two parts to this one is yes it is undeniable that on the show the kind of way in which they are talking about drag the way in which people are practicing drag i think is borders on mildly unhealthy if if if, if i have to be very honest mm-hmm. i think the fact that these girls are going on and spending the kind of, the amount of money that they're spending or if they're not spending that kind of money that they are that they are coming in with with access to borrow some of the things that they are wearing to me is mind-boggling and not mind-boggling as in like i cannot comprehend it's mind-boggling as in like i think it's a little bit nuts the, the moment at which I was like, this is not right. There's something about this picture is not right. There is a point in the show where Jan walks on the runway in a Tom Brown, fully rhinestoned jogging suit. Mm-hmm. A sweatsuit mm-hmm. that's fully rhinestoned. That was, I want to say, she didn't own it. it. She borrowed it. It was like $13,000. And there was a point at which I just looked at that and I was like, something about this picture is wrong. Something about this is not right. And I think the part of it that I find the most um, problematic, shall we say, is that I understand drag as, I, I say this a lot, I understand drag as a working class art form. Part of what I love about the form is that the barrier to entry is not really about how much money you have and how much access you have. It's about how much you want to put yourself out there, how you want to be creative with what you, with what little you have and what kind of fantasy you want to create. If the measurement on the show is on like whether your feathers are $5 a meter or $30 a meter, as happened in season 13, 
I think there's something wrong with that conversation. And I'm, and I'm personally very disinterested, very disinterested in that conversation. They okay. judge Joey J for bringing chicken feathers instead of ostrich Which feathers. is also like, I just want to point out as somebody who works with feathers, those aren't chicken feathers, they're turkey feathers. Turkey. Just saying. Then the Ms. Joe Kim's experience on Drag Race Thailand. She was on the show and she talked about how she cleared that up for me because in my mind, I thought if you get picked for RuPaul's Drag Race, you just show up at Changi Airport, you fly to in this case Bangkok for Venomous Joe Kim it was a whole bunch of other drag queens as well who jumped in and said I'm going to help pay for your flight ticket I'm going to um, work with you to get lodging for you and and she brought like 10 different luggages and it was hell for her just to even show up on set so it was not as easy as I thought it was going to be and if you had connections to have someone already design an outfit for you then great you ace that particular challenge but even then it's like you go in there you don't know which episode is going to require what outfit from you so you're preparing 10 different luggages of all these like 40 different looks I think they're only allowed 5 suitcases on Drag Race Maybe she had small the US. ones. She had small ones. Whatever lah. All right, shall we move on to the next topic? The world according to Becky the Bus, Katya. What about her? Because, you know, I read about how you started doing drag in the Boston scene with Katya and everything. So I just want to know, like, are two of you still very much in touch and how's it going? One of the most delicious things about Drag Race is that almost everybody who's ever been on that show in the first, shall we say, eight seasons almost certainly came from out of like some dingy little club wherever yeah which is how i know her right like we came up together in the same like shitty monday night shows and then they go on that show and then they become these like world celebrities i've been able to observe the kind of frenzy that that can happen around her but like that's not how i know this person mm. I just know this person as like somebody I used to work with who used to help me steal shit. (laughs) I read about that. How you would steal wigs from the wig store that she worked at. Yeah, which since closed down so maybe not so funny anymore. um, (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. I have a similar relationship with Hugh Chapman. All right, so moving on. (laughs) All right, the world according to Beck at the Bus. Uh, Stop it uh, or carry on. Spicy McNuggets from McDonald's. Never eat before. I also. I never, I've never liked the spicy whatever from McDonald's. I just think it's not tasty. It's not good for your gut. But it's because it's spicy, that's why it's extra tasty. No, but it's just spicy. Yeah, like the McSpicy. Like like so many things in Singapore, it has no nuance. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Next one. Queer people who don't want to go to Pink Dot or have anything to do with pride? Carry on. Please, carry on. That's what you're going to say? By all means, live your life and follow your heart. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, that's that's the world according to Back of the Bus. All right, the term straight acting. Stop it, uh, or carry on. Carry on, I guess? I don't know. Really? Look, if you want to hate yourself, I'm not going to stop you from hating yourself, Okay. Yeah, you're quite carry on with most things. Yeah, in life. I carry on. If you're not, if you're not an idiot, what do I have to bitch about, right? Okay, well, perfect <laughs> segue to the last one. The, the SG, SG Boys, Boys podcast. podcast. He's so scared. <laughs> He's very scared. I'm very. What do you feel like? <laughs> this is the this is the real question. Do you wake up? Do you wake up every morning and feel excited about doing this? Yes, I do. I actually do. Why are you asking me for validation for your little gay thing? No, I okay. So I should you know, 
when we launched the podcast, I think there were a couple of things that Becca had posted on Facebook and it wasn't sort of a popular opinion about whatever that was happening around. And I was like, oh shit, Becca's going to make fun of my podcast when it comes out. I love the assumption. The assumption here is that Becca has listened to this podcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Becca the Bus on the SG Boys podcast. You should listen. Also, you should follow me on social media at Becca the Bus at B-E-C-C-A-D-B-U-S. If you feel like it, you could also buy a face mask handmade by me at my website, www.coveryourpiehole.shop. Thanks. Love ya. Mwah. The SG Boys. The beliefs, views, and opinions expressed on this podcast are attributable to its hosts only and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, organization, company, or individual.